Ransomware Real Politic, Avedon Exits, Klopp Suspects Busted, and an exclusive interview with Congressman Jim Longevin. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Not a week has gone by recently without ransomware making headlines. For a deep dive on recent events, I'm joined by our very own ransomware expert, executive editor Matthew Schwartz. So Matt, last week, the Avedon ransomware gang announced it was retiring. Do you think they're really, really gone? That's the really, really big question. And the answer is hopefully. So it's interesting with Avedon suddenly deciding to announce its retirement. That was likely driven by fear, according to chatter in the Russian language cybercrime underground. So say threat intelligence researchers who've had their ear to the ground over the exit of multiple organizations. Avedon is just the most recent. Before that, we saw Babook announce its retirement after it hit the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Force. We saw Darkside announce the cessation of its affiliate program after one of its affiliates hit Colonial Pipeline in the United States. Now we have Avedon. They released about 2,000 private keys, allowing security researchers to code a free decoder for victims. Kudos to them. And we're faced with Avedon hopefully having gone away, although it's very possible that it's just regrouping. And maybe when the heat dies down a little bit, we'll see the operation come back, offering its crypto malware to a new generation. Also, the affiliates who've been working with the gang, none of them have necessarily announced their retirement. So they'll probably begin working with other operations. Now, on Wednesday, Ukrainian National Police announced the arrest of six suspects tied to Klopp. Does this signal a crackdown in Eastern Europe? Again, one would hope so. And this is a really interesting ransomware operation. It's not the biggest. It's probably top 15. But somehow the Klopp operation got its hands on data that was stolen from users of the Excelian file transfer appliance. Now, it's complicated, but in a nutshell, somebody spent a lot of time and effort reverse engineering the Excelian FTA code. They used this to run two different zero-day attacks against FTA users, one in December, Excelian patched, and then another in January until Excelian patched. There are some huge victims here. The Australian securities regulator, for example, also Qualys, the security vendor, Bombardier, many victims. So this stolen data ended up on Klopp's data leak site. Like a number of other gangs, it runs a data leak site to try to pressure victims to pay it. The FTA information doesn't appear to have been the result of crypto locking malware attacks, but again, these zero day attacks and Klopp tried to shake victims down to get them to pay, take the data. Interesting kind of side note with Klopp, but it's also a ransomware as a service operation. So the six individuals, suspects who were arrested in Ukraine, unfortunately appear to be kind of mid-tier, your money mules, your money launderers. So while it's good that some of the operations have been disrupted, the big fish appear to still reside in Russia. So it's unlikely that we're going to see Klopp going away unless the operators take this as a sign to maybe lay low for a while. Is the timing of these arrests coincidental? Ukrainian police announced them on Wednesday, just hours before US-Russia summit began in Geneva. And cyber attacks and ransomware are high on the agenda for those discussions. The timing is very interesting. Obviously, ransomware is high on the White House agenda 
And there's also been a big increase on cyber attacks against the US, including the SolarWinds supply chain attack that ended up hitting a lot of federal government organizations, among others. Now, that was supposedly a Russian intelligence operation. The US has signaled that it wants certain critical sectors in the US to be off limits to Russian cyber attacks. Now, this is going to be interesting. I mean, it's an interesting line in the sand to draw because Russia has a real habit of pre-positioning itself in critical infrastructure, especially in Ukraine, but also a number of other countries like the US, specifically maybe in power grids, power systems, so that if there was some sort of conflict, Russian hackers, intelligence agency hackers, could proactively disable critical infrastructure. So a bit of a broader cybersecurity, if you will, capability, should things really heat up. So now the White House is saying, no more with that. If you don't listen to us, if you don't curtail all these ransomware attacks that we know are being launched by organizations based inside your borders, then we are reserving the right to retaliate. And President Biden says, as President Putin knows, we have serious cyber retaliation capabilities. So right now, I wouldn't call it a war of words, but it's a stern warning and certainly a much more forceful condemnation of Moscow than we've seen in the past. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Now, when it comes to recovering stolen digital funds, is Bitcoin a foe or friend to law enforcement? ISMG's Jeremy Kirk, Managing Editor of Security and Technology, shares his take on the question. The role of Bitcoin in the ransomware payments pipeline is clear. It's enabled fast, enormous payments with some degree of privacy. How to deal with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in the battle against ransomware is the subject of a spirited debate. Some have labeled Bitcoin as a prominent foe and called to ban it. Others say the payment method used for ransoms is largely a red herring. If Bitcoin was gone, the traditional banking system would be used instead. So what should be done about Bitcoin? Actually, the status quo isn't that bad. The paths to converting Bitcoin to cash without scrutiny are narrowing. Law enforcement is making small but notable gains too. That includes the FBI's recent recovery of most of the Bitcoin ransom paid by a colonial pipeline. There was also action against the NetWalker ransomware in January, which also involved a seizure. Marcus Hutchins is a malware researcher who famously stopped the spread of the WannaCry ransomware four years ago. He tells me that the argument to ban Bitcoin is nothing more than an argument to ban ransomware payments in a fancy coat. He says that even if Bitcoin was illegal to buy, the gangs would simply change to other payment methods within the banking system. He contends that banks would be reluctant to intervene. Ransomware victims would be willingly sending money to the ransomware gangs. Interfering with that process would put the banks at odds with their customers. There are opposing views on this, including that of Nicholas Weaver, who is a security researcher and lecturer at the University of California at Berkeley. He argued in a recent piece for Lawfare that ransomware gangs could leverage the traditional banking system. Banks, he says, was considerate an existential risk. In Weaver's view, degrading or even destroying cryptocurrency may be the key to solving the ransomware problem. Tom Uren is a senior analyst with the Australian Strategic Policy Institute's International Cyber Policy Center. He says there's truth in what both Weaver and Hutchins contend. Here's Uren. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. The traditional money 
organisations in general cooperate with each other to try and stop crime. I mean, I think Marcus is right. If you get rid of Bitcoin, they'll do something else. But it is harder and anything that slows people down reduces the scale of the problem. But he says it's going to be difficult to make Bitcoin go away. What's the sort of proposal? You ban Bitcoin so people in the, it's illegal for people in the States to use it. That's not going to make Bitcoin go away. Bitcoin's blockchain is an open ledger that shows how Bitcoins flow from different addresses. That can provide insight into how the underground economy works for ransomware and ransomware services. Maddie Kennedy is Senior Director of Communications at Chainalysis. Chainalysis makes transaction monitoring software for cryptocurrencies, and it's been contracted by several U.S. federal government agencies. Agencies. So Kennedy tells me that while the core ransomware gangs may be in Russia, there's a whole worldwide criminal economy around it. Those actors usually get paid in Bitcoin, and those webs of criminality can be traced on the blockchain. Discovering the identities of those people, of course, takes much more work, but patterns can be teased out. Here's Maddie Kennedy. We think that the key to disrupting ransomware is disrupting the ransomware supply chain. So that includes the authors or developers of the ransomware. It includes their affiliates. And then also just this kind of ecosystem of service providers that enable them. Potential choke points are exchanges where cryptocurrency can be turned into cash. Kennedy says the vast majority of ransomware-related cash-outs are occurring on just a few exchanges. And even on those exchanges, that activity is concentrated on just 200 different deposit addresses. Here's Kennedy again. So it's a very, very small ecosystem and and cash-outs are primarily occurring by by like a small number of what appear to be professional money launderers. As part of a multi-pronged strategy to tackle ransomware, there's definitely room to put pressure on cryptocurrency payments, which in time could help reduce the scale of ransomware. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. And finally, we have a special excerpt from a conversation between Congressman Jim Langevin and our VP of Editorial, Tom Field. Langevin, of course, is a member of the House Armed Services and Homeland Security Committees and plays an active part in helping strengthen the United States national cyber defense strategy. You can watch the full interview on the 13th and 14th of July at our upcoming Virtual Cybersecurity Government Summit. All you need to do is register via our sites. But leaving you with this taster, here's Langevin in response to how cybersecurity leaders can better support Congress in protecting national and economic security against cyber threats. Well, I, I would say that you can be a resource to your members of Congress and their staff. Certainly, don't be afraid to reach out. I encourage you to reach out. First of all, every member of Congress has different priorities, different things that they're expert in or working on. And cybersecurity, sadly, is not the focus for every member of Congress. Likewise, you know, their, their staffs may not be expert in these complex topics either. So by reaching out and, and sharing your perspective, uh, sharing their expertise, uh, you'll help better policy making uh, being made in the in the long run. Beyond that, I would say that you know give us uh, it, you know what your perspectives are in terms of how we can work more closely together. How do we facilitate better information sharing? What are the barriers that still exist? And then find ways to make sure that we're working uh, more aggressively together uh, to close off vulnerabilities wherever we find them. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.